0: All right, so hopefully you have your sheet, but also if you have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open it to the beginning of Luke. (laughs) I know we're in Luke 10, but I want, and I'm sorry, you're going to have to bend your eyeballs. Um, I want to do a little bit of review. I am just such a visual person, so I asked Steph to bring in the dry erase board, but especially for the little discussion theme we're going to do next, um, because I really think It just helps us get a picture. I I mentioned this the first time I taught. I I want to be very careful about approaching Scripture as like just cherry picking, like oh, this little story, that little story. It is a unified story pointing to Christ from Genesis through Revelation, and so I don't want us to lose picture of that. The picture of that. So uh, I've emphasized that the opening Luke tells us right away. He wrote this for us to have certainty. So as we read these things, as questions come up, that's actually what he would want is for you to be like, what? Because he's building for you an explanation of why you can be certain that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one. So it's good to have questions and wonder why things are in there, why other things aren't in there. It's great that we're doing John right now as we're looking through Luke because you'll see there's some things in John that are not in Luke. And you'll see that throughout the Gospels. But today, is gonna, we're going to do something during discussion that is in all three of the synoptic, so the first three Gospels. Um, and, and that just, I want to emphasize that when you see something that shows up in all three, there's a few things that show up in all four. It's pretty important. God is emphasizing it over and over again for a reason. Last week, Tyler reminded us that this is pointing to Jesus, who he is, and that he is the solution. So even though we're looking at women and how Jesus loved them, they're not the point. The point is who Jesus is. It gives us a clearer identity of what it means to be his his child. From the beginning of Luke, in Luke 2, when Mary and Joseph bring Jesus into the temple... Um, Zechariah proclaims that he is a son who is appointed to be opposed by many. And so something that we are going to see, especially if you've been reading in between the stories, you're going to see that what started out as crowds coming, gathering around him, wanting to be there, you're going to see that opposition starts to build, and we'll get to why in just a second. Um, But that was predicted from the beginning. And yet even being told that, we see throughout the gospel that even Mary didn't really get that. Oftentimes, they are expecting something else out of Jesus, and then he keeps telling them, "No, no, no, <laughs> this is who I am. This is my kingdom." So, I wanted to just do a quick review because we've been in Luke eight and nine, and and now we're going into ten. So, we started in um, actually we started in Luke seven. But if you remember back from Luke 8, it opened with the women accompanying him, praying for him out of his means. Um, some other things that happened in Luke 8 is he calms a storm, and the disciples were freaking out. And he says to them, where is your faith? So he is definitely emphasizing in here, like, faith. What is it in? Okay, and uh, an analogy that or a point that I brought out last week in application is, We got to recognize that our faith is not in the power. The power points us to our faith, needing to be in Jesus and who he is. But like most human beings, I think if you were being tossed at sea and suddenly someone got up and said, hey, knock it off, and it stopped, you'd be pretty caught up in the actual activity that happened. And that happens over and over again. The people are very distracted By the healing, by the demons being cast out, the storm stopped. Um, And yet Jesus patiently keeps pointing them towards him. Um, We also talked about the demon-possessed man that was healed and he had the legion thrown into the pigs. They rushed into the water. The townspeople don't respond with, hey, come on into town. They're like, would you leave us? (laughs) And one thing that really stood out to me in this um, instance was a demon-possessed man begged to go with Jesus. And Jesus said to him, no, stay and go tell them what I've done for you. And so he goes. So he goes and he proclaims what Jesus has done for him. Um, Then, we talked about this last week, Jairus' daughter falls ill and in the midst of it, and it says, the words that it says in there is that there is a great crowd around him. So if you've ever been to a concert or anything crowded, you know, you've got humans just touching each other all the time, right? And yet somehow he perceives the touch on the fringe of his garment of one woman, not somehow, but because he's God, and it's an example of faith. So once again, he highlights an example of someone who has faith and calls her out and says, Daughter, it's your faith that has made you well. And he calls her again to go, and he tells her to go in peace. Maybe I should just do peace symbol. How's that? Um, and I, I highlighted that's the second time that God, Jesus, has healed someone or forgiven them of their sins and tells them, Go in peace. Because one of the things that you see in people that have interacted with Jesus and accept who he truly is, is they live a life of obedience, and they have peace with him. And so that's what they're calling people to. They may have been healed of a disease or demons you know, thrown out or being brought back to life. But what they're pointing to is Jesus, um, And that is, if you look through, you'll see that over and over again, that happens. Okay, so then in Luke 9, he sends out his disciples to go and proclaim, and he tells them, now you have the power to heal. So he's showing them that because they're going in his name, they have this. And it's an amazing time for them. So they go, and he tells them um, to go into the cities. If they accept you, wonderful. If they don't, that's the famous sign line of shake the dust off your sandals and walk on, okay? And he says then when they get back and they, I mean, they've just had this incredible experience of being able to heal and proclaim the gospel and see people respond. And he asked them, who do you say I am? Because the people have been saying, this must be Elijah. This must be the prophet. Prophet. Some think he might be the Messiah, but mostly they think he's just the promised Moses or Elijah. And he then turns to them and says, no, but who do you? My closest 12 say I am. And Peter's answer is, you're the Christ. This is the first time we have that. And that word, Christ the Messiah, this is the first time that word, which we often think of it almost like a last name, is a very specific term in the Greek that meant he's the promised one. Every promise from the Old Testament that that's the scriptures they know, the Hebrew scriptures, are pointing towards this promised Messiah. And Peter professes, that's who you are. And he says to him, God is the one that has revealed that to you. Then, right after this, he foretells his death for the first time. As you're reading through the gospel, I want you to pay attention to he'll do things. There's lots of promises explained. There's a turning point in all of them where he then starts explaining to them, I came to die. And it is, it's rejected. It's misunderstood. Um, he strictly, strictly charges them, though, to tell no one. He's trying to get them to understand it. And it says, but this was, they didn't understand. They would understand it later. But he starts explaining to him that he will be going to the cross. Now, this makes sense. If you step back and kind of think about everything that's happening... Because crowds are still going towards him and wanting to know who is this Jesus. He's healing. I mean, I I think I would be the same way. I would like to be with someone who is calming storms, healing people, bringing about reconciliation. And even the disciples are starting to get caught up in this power, right? That's very powerful. Now, the other thing that happens in nine, nine is a huge I mean, asterisk that baby and read it. It's a huge turning point in Luke. He also has what's called the transfiguration. He takes three of his disciples with him, and he's transfigured. He he becomes his glorified self. Elijah and Moses are seen talking with him, and typical of human beings, what is the first thing that Peter says? Hey, should I build three tents here? In other words, set up a new place to worship. We get it wrong quite often, but no. (laughs) Instead what they are left with is god saying listen to him this is my chosen one verse 35 of chapter 9 and they come down from there he is going to heal a boy with an unclean spirit and he is again in uh, verse 43 through 45 going to tell them that he has to die he's going to remind them of this they've just had this mountaintop experience They've seen another person have demons cast out. They see that God's in charge, and yet he reminds them he's going to die. And it says in verse 45 of chapter 9 that the disciples did not understand. And then, of all things, so after all of this has happened, he keeps telling them he's going to die, James and John's mother comes and said, can one of my sons sit on your right and the other on the left? <laughs> oh, us mothers, right? Yes, always promoting our children. Um, And Jesus reminds them that whoever is going to be the greatest in my kingdom needs to be the least. He needs to be a servant of all. He is presenting to them over and over again this upside down kingdom. It is not gonna look the way the world is set up and how it's expected to be. And then in verse fifty-one it says, When the days drew near, for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. All the gospels will have something along this line where it says he set his face. Now, if you go um, back before it, you'll actually see that Jesus did the majority of his ministry in the area of Galilee outside of Jerusalem. But now he has set it in his face to head towards Calvary. And this is a unique turning point in the Gospels. So Luke 10 opens up with, now there's 72 other disciples. I think we can read this and think that what is happening most of the time is it's just Jesus and his 12, but there's still great crowds of people around him. And he, in the opening of Luke 10, he sends his 72 others out in a a saying that many of us are familiar with. He tells them the the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The kingdom of God has come near you and he sends him out to heal the sick, okay? So I want us now to note um, he is emphasizing more and more this kingdom of God, and this will be key um, later today. This kingdom of God has come near you, and then he warns about what is going to happen to those who reject him. He tells them that those who reject my disciples are rejecting God who sent me. He's warning us from the beginning that this is not going to be something the world is going to embrace. And he says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice that you've been given this great gospel, this good news, this power. It is a true power to bring spiritual life to people when they know Jesus. But he tells people to rejoice that your names are in heaven. He wants to focus them back on over and over again that you are a part of his kingdom and his family, you are his daughter. We're not just subjects of a sovereign, right? We are being brought into a family. And then he praises God for revealing truth to those who have been given him. He gives that promise that those that are his will know the truth. And he He tells them that you are going to see things that the prophets only longed for. He quotes Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, and Malachi 4 are all referenced where there will be this time when the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk. He's telling them, you're watching this happen. Then we have uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is significant. Again, as I said, he's coming closer and closer to Jerusalem, which is the religious power center. Of that area, and he starts getting challenged more by different Pharisees and Sadducees, the teachers at that time. Um, and we, we know this, but it's very significant because in this parable, he is challenging someone who knows the Old Testament to tell him, What does it say? What does it say? And he knows rightly that it says, You should love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Then he gives him this example of the Samaritan is the only person that helps someone that has been beaten up. And, and the lawyer gets it. He knows that the one who was truly acting like a neighbor is the one who showed mercy. And so he tells him, just like he's been saying all along, go, go and do likewise. Obedience is the result of faith in Jesus. Now, this is what happens just before Martha and Mary's story. I wanted to give that background because in a sense, if you've been reading this Martha and Mary story can kind of feel out of place, right? Um, it's an interesting one. I'm not saying it's necessarily more than others, but it is surprising. If you just Google the story of Martha and Mary, the amount of little devotionals that you can find online about that. This is about busyness. This is about work. This, you know, there's so many of these little application things where they may have nuggets of helpfulness, But pulled out of this context, you really end up with a very, very shallow veneer of how much is in this story. So let's go ahead and look at it. You have it written right there in your um, handout. It says, now, as they went on their way, so we know the way that they're going is towards Jerusalem, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who was at the Lord's feet, and listened to his teaching, And if you let your eyes wander a little bit farther, right after this, he's going to then teach them the Lord's Prayer. Uh, this is a loving interaction with these two women he cares greatly about. You'll know from reading the other Gospels, especially in John, and we'll get to it, that this is Mary and Martha, who are Lazarus' sisters. And they, are, they interact with Jesus quite a bit. This is a home that Jesus would go to and say, it's just outside of Jerusalem. These are people that he's close to. And I would say that the beauty, one of the beautiful things I saw in this immediately was how important it is to have those that we are close to that can speak truth into our lives, right? And call us where it is. Um, those who know Jesus will be able to do that. So Jesus comes into this setting and he's entered in because they've invited him in. Work is not the issue here and your work ethic. I, I think I want to emphasize that, that there, there's a theology of work from the beginning before the fall. Work was a good thing. So it is not a problem that she is hosting him at all. So I don't want us to get distracted there on that. Um, but this is the important thing to look at right now. Martha is distracted. Those opening words in verse 40. When I saw that at first, being more of a type A person, and also someone who truly enjoys hospitality. I get that. I think we've probably all had that time when we've asked people to come over, maybe someone very important, Um, and just things have fallen apart from the beginning, right? It can be very, very distracting. Now, it just says when they were on their way, but it was not just Jesus showing up. It's quite different to have one or two people over But as we know at this time, Jesus had a following behind him. We don't know how much is in there, but you can imagine the pressure in the crowd. And we also know that what the Lord is doing is teaching. We know that. It says right there that Mary is sitting at his feet and listening. And so there are people listening. We talked about a few weeks ago um, when we had Simon who invited over Jesus for dinner and it described a little bit how there's people all around. Homes were much more open than they are now. And so you can imagine the crowds are in there. And Jesus very specifically describes that Martha's distraction led to her being anxious and troubled. So I think we've probably all been in that situation and we can identify with her. And what he says to her is that you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. She, Mary, has chosen the good portion. Now, probably because I've had a chance to sit in this a long time, um, something really stood out to me in that, and that's because if you were going through with your Bible, you will notice that I skipped something in Luke 8 that I didn't bring up. But it's actually the very first parable that Jesus tells in Luke, and that's the parable of the sower. I want to as part of the teaching and discussion time, I wanted to take a little bit of time to go over this parable together, and I'll explain to you why. What Jesus is doing is teaching. The parable of the sower, way back then, Jesus sets up what his teaching is. He gives it the analogy of the seed. It's not a, not a spoiler alert. It's very black and white in that. And what the effect of his teaching is on different people and their attentiveness to it, basically. So what I'd like to ask is that you guys get into three groups, um, as close to, you know, maybe six apiece. I haven't even counted. If you guys could do that for a second. What I've done, this parable of the sower, is in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So I've printed them off for you. I want you guys to take a few minutes. If you turn to your next page, it looks like that, but without my notes, that is soil. There you go. Um, And what I want you to do is we're going to look for what is the seed, the soil, and I'll write this down for you. So go ahead and move while I'm explaining. Um, And we are going to take a minute and discuss it in light of Mary and Martha and what distracts us and what is the important thing here. So if I can get you guys maybe to turn around and go over Luke. I also, I have... It's in two columns, and that's just because I did the ESV and the NIV. The reason why I did that um, is sometimes when you read an English translation that's confusing, it's better to look at another one. So I'm glad you're the bigger group because Matthew is huge. (laughs) Matthew was wordy.
1: Yes,
0: ma'am. Actually, where did I put it? I do. Here. I'm like, there is one. You bet. Okay. So for efficiency of time, I mean, we actually, we've got about 20 minutes, but from the start, the very first question I would encourage you to look at in yours is what is the seed? And we're going to need a Martha in each group to just take charge. <laughs> please. <laughs> take charge. You're not sitting at anyone's feet here. No, Mary, just Martha right now, please. All right, so the first thing I want you to do is note what is the C? And you can do the soils in any way, but I did the black as the path. The lighter brown being rocky soil. This quadrant, thorns. And this quadrant, the good soil. So as you're looking at it, note what the seed is first of all, okay? Then... I want you to note what happened to the seed. And then also note next to it, in the explanation, so you'll be given the parable, then he pulls his, his disciples aside and explains to them, here's what the parable means. Um, and so then you're going to note what happens to the seed, and then what happens, he says, so the one who this represents, this is why this happened, okay? So you're going to explain the, it's going to be what I call the one who statement, okay? In other words, it's the effect. What, it, what caused that seed either to root, spring up, die, blah, 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 and it's characteristics of this person okay and if you have questions just raise your hand I'll come around all right so that we don't run out of time even if you're not done um, you can be a sentence ahead of me Uh, I do want to just go ahead and start writing it down so we have a chance to get everything recorded on here okay so uh, we have Matthew here are you guys Mark and Luke Oh, well, so there's the rebels. Okay, a whole group of Martha. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> who wants to leave this group? <laughs> no. All right, so they have Mark. We will be helping them. You have Mark or Luke? You have Luke. Oh, we have Mark and Luke. Oh, we did Luke. Oh, you, Luke. Oh, you want Mark and Luke? All right, I'm so glad that my instructions were <laughs> very clearly followed. Thank you, ladies. Let's start with, and please shout it out to me, no being quiet here. What is the seed? How is the seed identified in all of them? How about Matthew, verse 19? What is the seed? So, but he says specifically, what is the word? The seed is the word of the kingdom. Okay. And that's a unique thing in in Matthew. Matthew uses kingdom language a ton. He was writing to the Jewish people. Um. Okay. Okay. Mark or Luke, whoever can answer this one. What does it say is the word? I'm sorry, the seed. Give you a clue. So it's referred to as the Word of God. And then in um, Mark, it's referred to as? The secret of the yeah. yeah, the Word, it's the secret, right? And just note, we talked about it from the beginning, but Luke himself was a Gentile um, and wrote wrote to a more Gentile audience. He's the one that refers to his word of God, but this is all the same. So this is the seed. What is happening when people hear the gospel, the good news, right? What Jesus is proclaiming. Okay. So with that in mind, then he, he tells you this, he gives the first part is him telling the parable. To so the greater crowds, then the second half of all of them, he pulls the um, disciples aside to explain to them. So the first seeds fell on a path. So I made that one black like asphalt. I know you don't have to be a gardener to know what's going to happen to a seed on asphalt. <laughs> right? Exactly what happens here. So what happened to that seed? Trampled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's trampled. And the birds eat it. I I love to garden. The past two weeks have been the prepping and the planting of my garden. Um, And this is the biggest thing I have to watch out for is the birds coming and grabbing anything on the surface, right? Um, So he's using very real pictures they would have been very familiar with. This would have been obvious to them. But he also describes the path as something specific. What does he say that path represents? Yeah, and what about their heart? heart. What are they missing? It, yeah, it's a very hard heart, and there's no belief, right? Like in it. And he uses, uh, he, there's three different things that he says about the one who this seed represents, like it, who, I'm sorry, the path represents. He says that they lack understanding. Right, he also says that the evil one has snatched it away because they have no discernment. Okay, they lack discernment. Now, what I mean—just give me the elementary school definition. What is discernment? Right, wisdom—it's knowing right from wrong. Right, kind of like, like ah, yeah, this is a right thing to do. This is the wrong thing to do. These lack. This discernment that Jesus is, that's lacking spiritual discernment. They are of the world, okay? And I know that this, this is something we've all experienced. If you think about who you were, if you were like me, I became a believer in college, I was an adult. I can look back and realize how I had no discernment about the truth of God. It made no sense to me. It was foolishness, right? I lacked discernment. Um, and that's like those who are on the path. And then the last thing that it says about them, they do not have belief, and very clearly, he says, they're not, they're not saved, okay? In other words, their wisdom is going to do nothing for them to be in the kingdom, okay? So does this describe Mary or Martha? Just off, reading about this, does this, does it, does it, though? No. Now, these are people that are welcoming Jesus in, right? So, it's not them, but as you're reading throughout the Gospels, especially after this parable. One thing, whenever a parable comes up, what I like to do is look throughout of it is examples. Uh, Am I seeing someone that's like this? If you went back and now start reading forward, it starts to become very obvious who these people are. Um, And we're gonna see, John makes it stand out really heavy too, um, where those who, they hear what he says and they're like, it's too much, it's too much. I want nothing to do with this, it's too hard. Okay, so our next one is, is here, the rocky path, okay? So what happens to the seed in the rocky path? The the yeah, so it does sprout up. So exciting, like radishes. Put a radish in this week. You will start to see it next week. It's my favorite thing to grow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like victory, and we eat lots of radishes at my house because I can grow those. Um, it sprouts up, but exactly what you said, it withers. It's a sprout and a wither. Now, if you do not prepare your soil in Arizona, this is what most of your stuff will do here. it sprout up and wither because our ground is like one giant rock, basically. But some of the other versions explain to them why. Why did it wither? No yeah, there was no moisture. There was a shallowness to it, right? Yeah, rocks are not something with substance, something. And then what else scorches it? Yeah. And then he explains to the disciples, well, what was this a picture of? These are the people who, what did they do when they heard the word of the kingdom? With joy, right? They're really excited about this. And you can imagine, because as we talked about a minute ago, most of what they're hearing is, hey, this guy heals diseases. He brought that person back to life. He calmed a storm. He fed 5,000. He fed 4,000. Like you can imagine that joy. And I can vividly remember when it started to click for me and I came to the Lord, that great joy. But it was the joy of now everything will be perfect. I mean, if I'm being honest. <laughs> That's what I expected, right? Like somehow I now had this key. And so I received it with great joy, right? It was a very quick response. But then what happens because of that rocky soil? Yeah. There was no root in them. And so what is part of life that reveals there were no roots? What comes on them? Since there's no root, yeah. wind testing or some of... The version said tribulation. Sorry if you guys can't see right through me. Tribulation, persecution. Uh, In other words, they got up the next morning, right? When life happened, there was no root in them, right? There was nothing that they were growing from. And very specifically, I just realized I didn't write down which one. One of the versions said it was on account of this very word. The persecution comes up. Starts to give you that little clue. This isn't the persecution of the person cutting you off when you're driving. This is specifically that mocking. That looking at you like, you really believe this? That's who you want to follow? So it was because of the word. Okay? So these things are happening because... And this word is the word of God of the kingdom. It's saying that this life is not where the answers are. Jesus is the answer, right? And so when you present to someone else that the way they're doing things is not wise and that they're the ones lacking discernment and that they're foolish to follow that path, you will often run into tribulation and persecution. And when we lack a root, we wither. Does this seem to really represent Martha or Mary? No, but you will see. As you read on, there are definitely those that received with great joy what he did, and then they leave. right? The townspeople are an excellent of the herdsmen, the, the herdsmen that lost their um, pigs. You know, they had fear, "Wow, this is something big," And then they said, "Go, go." right? Like this was too much. That was, they lost all that they had right, their money, and they wanted him gone, all right, so that would be an example of that. All right, let's look at the bottom two soils, though, because in these, I definitely see things that can apply to Martha, Mary, but even more so to us, and yell at me, Liz, if I start going too long. All right, so the next one we have now is, is the um, soil with thorns in it, so what happens to the seed? when there's thorns? Yeah, so they grow, right? Right. So they, they've got enough roots that they can grow, but they get choked, choked out. And it's very specific what chokes it out. What does it say? Go ahead and say it, pardon me. Worries. Yeah, there's worries. Yeah, all, all this like good, what we would call good stuff, right? The good life but the riches, the pleasures of life. And in, I think it was Matthew, but I don't remember, the desire for other things, the
1: competition.
0: So guess what chokes? Distraction, right? Divided hearts and minds. Okay? Other things are competing for the interest there. So these are people who he describes as they are people who hear. A very key word in Luke. He talks all the time about hear. Jesus tells them, hear, hear, hear. These are people they hear, but as it says, they go on their way. These are what I call the Jesus plus people. They want Jesus plus something else, mm-hmm. right? They got Jesus in their back pocket, or he's their co-pilot. There's probably a lot more of those uh, bumper stickers out there. But they, they go on their way. They're like, yep, I've heard it. I like this. But I've got these other things. They're being choked out. Yeah, dating. Jesus or Jesus. <laughs> dating. <laughs> yes, yes. Love it. So they're choked out. This is not necessarily someone who doesn't believe the truth, right? It says nothing about their roots. They don't die off, okay? It's not being taken away. It's not scorched and killed. I mean, those symbols are of things that will die, right? But this is someone that is very distracted with other things. There's lots of things competing. And when I was reading the Mary and Martha, my mind immediately went to this. Because you, to be honest, I think we've all seen ourselves at this point. If you haven't been like this in the past 12 months, as you've seen chaos happen in our culture, you've had those days where you're distracted with these other things. What's going to happen with my life? Right? We have this tendency to it. And the reason why I want to emphasize in on this, though, is a key here is that when they hear, they go on their way. They hear it, but it's not enough to cling to it to rest in it and take their confidence in it. And that is a, it's a warning to us. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying to Martha. You are distracted with all these other things. There's really only one thing necessary. doesn't mean you won't do things, but there's a priority. So let's take a second here and look at the example of the good soil. Okay? So what... Is the seed, what does the seed do here? Sprang up and yielded a crop of a hundredfold. Yield. Yeah. This is highly fruitful. I love the analogies of seeds. It's used throughout scripture. I, I noted two other places. Isaiah 61 talks about the seed uh, that the earth brings forth. It sprouts as a garden that causes what is sown into it to sprout up. So the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before the nations. God uses an example of seeds all the time. He uses it in John 12. This is right after he says, bring the Gentiles in to learn from me. And then he tells them, unless the seed falls in the ground and dies, it will never come up and bear fruit, (laughs) right? He uses these analogies of a seed, but one thing we got to remember about a seed that is, to me, the cool factor. I put a seed in. I love tomatoes, too. That's my other big thing to grow. One tomato seed yields, especially if you buy 100s, it's called the 100s you literally get hundreds of tomatoes off of one plant, right? It's a beautiful thing. I don't plant one tomato seed and get one tomato. That happens to me with bell peppers, but that's my problem, (laughs) you know? But it's this, this idea that when it's in the good soil and it's receiving the moisture and it's receiving a sun to grow on, but not to scorch it, there's this great yield that comes. And these are the people who, what words are used about those? Who the good seed is soiled in. They have this good soil. They are one who hear, right? Mm -hmm. And what do they do when they hear the word of the kingdom? Yeah, they accept it. I love the version, I'm not even going to guess which one, where it says they they hold fast. Yeah, hold fast. Thank you, Sarah. Can you read my notes? So I wanted to emphasize and pause on this, those who have that honest and good heart. This is not, oh, these are just better people, right? The seed is in soil that then produces this. Whenever we think about honesty, one of the things that God continually asked and Jesus continually wanted people to see is that they were sinners in need of a savior, Right? These are people that call sin, sin. Right? There's an honesty about it. And we know that there is only one who is good. That is Jesus. He himself says, Why do you call me good? There's only one. It's Jesus. So if you're going to call me good, I mean, it's God, you're recognizing I'm God. We have an honest and good heart when his spirit is within us. All right? This is when the kingdom has taken root in you. And he also notes that these are people that bear, they bear fruit with patience. And again, this made me think of Mary right away. Because to sit at someone's feet to listen, those are resting. It's a resting in their presence and in their teaching. You bear fruit with patience. This is where we gain understanding. That's my alarm, so that we have time to discuss. Um, This good fruit comes from being people who sit in the word, soak it in. We spend time in fellowship and understanding what's going on. We want to be those who do not fear the world, nor hold on to it so tightly that it starts choking out the growth. That's why Jesus refers to this to Mary, that there's really one thing that's necessary, and she's chosen the good portion being at his feet. Now, if you read between now and our next one, and we'll get to this in John, Mary and Martha were not like these two like, little perfect people that never have any questions. As a matter of fact, when Lazarus dies, both of them go to Jesus and are like, where were you? If you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. This does not mean an absence of, like I said, having a question, wanting to understand why. It's what they do, though, is the go-to. And I would even say that the fact that Martha went to Jesus first and said to him, where were you? She is recognizing other things don't have the answer. She's going directly to him for the answer. That's an Allison application. But I want you to walk away from this, looking at these parables, and when you see this about Mary and Martha and think, hey, what causes me to become more like Martha? Martha. Because it's very obvious to us how to come right back and sit at his feet and be in it and not be distracted and to cling to his word and to know it and to have that patience. And we have to recognize what things become our distractions. So um, I hope that was helpful. As we finish up over the next two weeks, we're going to have several examples that really illustrate out this parable to read it with those eyes and seeing are they people who hear? Are there people that respond? Are they distracted with it? So I want to ask Liz to come up. I guess I'll give you this. And have more specific. Is that
1: now I'm going to be really loud. Okay. <laughs> what I loved about this text is just how much you can take away from it. And it's pretty short. It's like five verses. So... I kind of ask myself, why is Martha being corrected? I don't know if you've ever felt like, maybe Martha in this situation, like, Lord, Mary's not doing anything. Like, you know, I I think she's kind of relatable in this moment. So why is she being corrected? And I think maybe it's because, not because works are not good, because they are good, but I think she was missing the moment. She was missing the moment when the Lord was at work. He was speaking. Something important was going on. And she was too distracted with her own agenda to be paying attention. So are we coming to Jesus like Martha, where I've got to do all this work first. Maybe I need to look good. I need to look righteous. I need to... Have my agenda accomplished, and then I'll have time for the Lord and what he has to say. Or are we coming like Mary? She knows. She's broken. She's humble. She doesn't have anything to offer right now. The Lord is doing something. He's going to make me righteous. He gives good gifts. I want to know what he's saying right now. I want to know what he's speaking right now. So for Martha, her agenda was important. She felt like, okay, you know, there's people in the house, like Allison was saying. Um, It's good to be a good hostess, but we don't want to be such a good hostess that we miss our host. And I've been there. I'm not a great hostess, so I get super nervous having people over and Oh my goodness! There's dog hair still, even though I vacuumed six times. Like it's so easy <laughs> to get caught up in those things, so caught up that you miss the guest that you invited, invited in, and you miss the moments with them. And so I think I think that's the important thing that the Lord was saying to me is let's not miss those God moments when He's speaking, when He's at work, and we can take this. Um, some applications into our own lives. What if we're so busy rushing out the door to get to the grocery store that we miss that neighbor that's hurting? Maybe that, I don't know, they're walking their dog and we could have said hi and had a conversation and that was really a God setup, but we weren't in tune with the Holy Spirit and our own agenda was so important that we just needed to get that done. Um, So just little moments like that, I think, where we... We want to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, and I think that's what Mary was doing. She wanted to soak up those moments with Jesus, and she's hanging on to his every word, and she's prioritizing him. I think when we prioritize the Lord in our day, and we come to him first and surrender, and we spend time in worship, then he aligns our day. He puts things in order. And walking intentionally with the Holy Spirit um, and listening to Jesus in this mo- those moments, he's going to direct our paths. He's going to show us what's important to pay attention to and to tap into. And he's going to bring us those, you know, divine appointments, if you will, or the things that he has for us. And the rest of the things, maybe we let go by the wayside, or maybe we save those for later. So it's kind of scary, I think, when we get corrected by the Lord, you know, that can feel a little bit off-putting. I think if we think about correction, it can feel like, oh no, I don't want the Lord to correct me. And so then sometimes we feel like I need to come to the table perfect, and then I'll talk to him. Once I've got these sins under control, once I've got these things together, then I'll talk to the Lord because I'll look good to him and that's just not true. The Lord wants us to come to him broken. And when he gives a correction, there's an invitation there for a relationship. If he's giving us a correction, he knows it's the right time for that. He's not going to bring all of your stuff to the table at one time and and shame you with it. He knows the timing of when to work on something in your heart. And so if he's bringing that correction, it's because He wants to empower you through his Holy Spirit to work on that thing. And he's so gentle and kind about it to the point where it can feel good to have his correction because you know this is an invitation into a deeper relationship with him. So I think that's all I have for the application today. Thank you, ladies.